Good afternoon, everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show, brought to you by JohnPielli.com, as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. A handful of topics we're going to get to today in the world of baseball, sports, and Unify in America. As always, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Just a reminder, if you're interested, you want to be part of the show, you can give the show a call 732-364-3598. You could also comment on a Facebook Live or a Periscope feed. Excuse me, as we get through stuff going on in the world of sports. I want to do a little bit of a college football preview because I think there is some excitement in the games that are starting today. You got the conference championships going on, and I think you got a series of three games that, based off of their results, could really determine who that fourth team is going to be. And I really think strongly, as of this point, there are legitimately four teams that are in the midst for that fourth spot. We'll touch on that in a little bit. Uh, you got some MLB trades that are either happening or going to happen, and in some in the future. And I think it's interesting to talk about because you're seeing teams kind of more interested in trading with each other than they really have been in the past couple off seasons. And I wonder how that's going to impact the free agent market. Is that going to hold back the free agent market? Those are all things that we're going to discuss in a little bit. Of course, we got NFL picks, but we're going to start out the show, unfortunately, by talking about something that, listen, I don't love talking about, because what I really look at sports as, and I look I look at it as a sanctuary, to really keep yourself away from all the other crap that goes on in this world. And sometimes you call it crap, but there's obviously some real seriousness to it. The crap I relate to and I, I, I talk about that gets brought up all the time is politics and views on stuff. And if you think of, let's say, where the United States of America is right now or where it could be in the future, that we might be in trouble. And, and those are all those are all things that I, I think of and I'm passionate about and I care about but don't want to make it a part of this show. And that's why I love sports. Because what sports really equals is an opportunity for people to escape all those stupid opinions and a life which you may have some fear, you may have some reasons for not loving certain things, but you can watch sports and just forget about it for a moment. But the one thing that puts us as sports fans in a tough spot is when life intersects with sports. And you found out about it over the course of the last several years, whether it's murder trials, whether it's uh, serious crimes involving athletes. And obviously you got the domestic violence thing that goes on. It obviously isn't a new thing. Domestic violence has happened in this world for a long period of years. And nobody is ever going to condone it. Nobody's ever going to say that it's something that is acceptable. But... In a world that we live in today, it gets thrown in front of ourselves enough. And you see Kareem Hunt getting cut. You know, a running back that led the league in rushing last year. Uh, premium running back, certainly a top five in the National Football League at this very moment. Losing his job in a heartbeat when the video is released of him hitting a woman. And there isn't any toleration for that, nor there ever should be. My question is, how should that impact one's employment? Because you got two things that are separate in regards to domestic violence. You got the, uh, of course, how is the person that was involved in the domestic violence? Is this something that they were seriously hurt? 
even if they're not seriously hurt, there's mental impacts where they're going to have to live the rest of their life potentially scared of being struck or hurt or injured again. So that that is the most serious part when we talk about domestic violence. How is the victim? Now, number two, what type of repercussions are going to go after the person that is guilty of it? And obviously, if you have a video come out that shows what he did, there is no doubt that Kareem Hunt did what he did. Pretty similar to years ago when Ray Rice was caught in an elevator striking his now wife. Those are things that are undisputable. You can't dispute the video. That was you doing it. It's like when you see a dash cam or something to say, this is exactly what happened. That person tries to deny it. They look like a fool. But the third aspect of domestic violence that I really feel doesn't get spoken about enough and I do feel needs to be talked about more is the impact of that person that is the aggressor or the person that is guilty of the domestic violence. In other words, for hitting a person or for a violent act is certainly way below the regards to hurting somebody seriously and potentially ending their life. So does that person deserve to be unemployed? Because I look back years upon years and we've seen it happen. The Ray Rice video comes out and I understand you're talking about a little older version of let's say a Kareem Hunt who is very young and right about to enter the prime of his career but Ray Rice is done. He's out of the NFL. Teams think about bringing him back, and it never happens. So his career is over because he hit his wife. You look at baseball, Roberto Osuna, uh, Jose Reyes. There's many other players that were involved in sexual or and domestic violence instances involving women. Hector Oliveira, who is a name that I'm just randomly going to throw out there, and you're going to be like, what? You know, a lot of people don't even know who he is, but he was an international prospect, signed with the Atlanta Braves, and had a very serious assault charge involved with domestic violence that was probably the most serious one involved in Major League Baseball that didn't result in a loss of that person's life. He, his career is basically over. So how does it apply to the world of sports, but how does it apply to the rest of the everyday world? Because we we, we tend to be taught or told by the media that domestic violence only involves high-profile people and only involves sports. It doesn't. It exists in every part of the world, and you don't need to be famous to be a domestic abuser. So if you, the, the message that's being sent, which I don't know, I think the Kansas City Chiefs did a, a, a thing that they thought was the best decision for what they're doing. A video comes out, shows that Kareem Hunt did what he did, and he loses his job. But if that applies to a player in the National Football League, a high-profile player, a player that led the league in rushing last year, one of the up-and-coming stars in a game, one of the better players on a Kansas City Chiefs team that looks ready and poised to win a Super Bowl, then it should apply to that $8-an-hour employee that works at Walmart. He slugs his wife, he should lose his job too. That person that works behind a bank counter is a teller. He hits his wife or he abuses his girlfriend. He should lose his job too. That person that is making minimum wage and barely getting by should be in a spot where they can't get a job down the road. And the domestic violence 
rap or charge against you should keep you from getting a job in the future. You know why? I hate to say it. Let's make all the standards the same and make it apply for every single job that we see in this country. If a player can lose their job as a star running back when they're in the prime of their career in the National Football League, you should lose your job at Petco. You should lose your job as a construction worker. You should lose your job in the nine-to-five cubicle that you work in. If we're going to look at domestic violence as seriously as we claim to, because I also think there's a lot of mirrors involved in that, there's a lot of smoke, a lot of times we try to say things to make us look like we care a little bit more than we do. If we really care about it, we're going to crack down on domestic violence everywhere. Not look at a place like TMZ, which I said is the gossip and slander capital of the world. All they're looking to do is bring up stuff that you could talk about at the coffee table or at the coffee counter. But domestic violence is that serious. If we really feel it's as serious as we say it is, it's going to apply to every single job. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you're a dentist. It doesn't matter if you're, you're a janitor. It doesn't matter if your job is to pick up garbage on the side of the road in a correctional facility. If you are involved in domestic violence and it's proven that you did what you did, you lose your job and you're blackballed the rest of your life. You can't get a job. Because that's what happened to Ray Rice. That's what may very well happen to Kareem Hunt. If you look at Reuben Foster being claimed by the Washington Redskins, there's no guarantee he's ever going to play pro football again. And Doug Williams and the Washington Redskins took a major risk by claiming him. And obviously they have no intention of playing him unless he's proven to maybe beat the charge or be rehabilitated. But the precedence has been set that there's people they are involved in domestic violence that never work again. And there's a difference. If somebody does a criminal offense, they should do their time. And what did I say weeks ago about Ray Carruth being released from prison? I'm not saying that Ray Carruth is a good person. But what is he given when he's released from prison? He's given the opportunity to live his life again. To potentially get a job. Now obviously you got a murder charge on you. It's obviously a major felony. It's going to keep a lot of companies from being able to hire you. But Ray Carruth may be able to get a job. Ray Rice couldn't get a job. Hector Oliveira probably cannot get a job. Kareem Hunt, I tell you, if I'm an NFL team, as much as talented as he is, it'd be a scary situation from a PR standpoint, which Doug Williams mentioned with the Washington Redskins, which I disagreed with his take on it. I thought it was a terrible take. But also what you what it is that you're condoning. You're essentially condoning domestic violence if you hire a domestic violent offender. But why does it just apply to sports? And that's what bothers me. That's what's frustrating about the whole thing. It's a serious thing. There's no doubt about it. But we tend to use double standards. We tend to want to punish the more accomplished and say the hell with the ones that don't have anything. If you're poor, if you have to work two jobs to survive at $8 an hour just to bring in a couple bucks 
so your kids have something to eat, and you decide to beat your wife. You're not held to that same standard. It's almost like pity. It's almost like you're put in a category where you don't make a lot of money, and because you don't make a lot, a lot of money, it's okay to beat your wife. But if you make millions of dollars a year, if you're out in the national spotlight and everybody knows your name, people want you to not have a job. They want you to be unemployed forever. They don't want you to have the opportunity to be able to get work again. Well, screw that. I think it should be the same no matter what it is you do. And like I said, if you're making below minimum wage... You know, if you're, if you're serving for $2 an hour, not getting any tips, and you beat your wife, you should be blackballed from having a job again. All I want to see is I want to see the same standards for every person and every American. Because it's it, it, it doesn't apply. There's a double standard now. If you make over a certain amount of money and you're compensated at a certain level, you're treated differently. And people want to see you punished more then if you're unemployed, and I'll tell you this, if you're a domestic violent abuser and you're collecting any form of assistance from the government, you should lose that too. You should not be able to collect welfare. You should not be able to collect disability. You should not be able to collect unemployment if you are a domestic violent abuser. And you really want to get to the root of the problem instead of punishing people in the public eye to make a statement for everybody. Make it fair. Make it to a point that if you have a little bit and you have barely anything and you do the same thing, you're going to be blackballed the same way Kareem Hunt's going to be blackballed. The same way Reuben Foster's going to be blackballed. The same way Ray Rice was blackballed. This copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights, granted by the World Wide Web, and is solely for your entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show, without the express written consent of the past ball show, JohnPielli.com and JohnPielli LLC, is prohibited. Any commercial or other use of the program, such as by charging admission for its showing, is similarly prohibited. So... We're going to get in the world of sports because this is what this show is about. And I've said this a hundred times. I really have. You look at the playoffs as they set up in college football right now. Championship weekend, you got the, you know, you got Texas, Oklahoma, you got Northwestern, Ohio State, of course, Alabama, Georgia. And a game that probably should get a little more attention than it really does is UCF and Memphis, the American Athletic Conference. And I'll talk about them in a little bit, but what stands out right now is we're looking at the situation with college football right now. You got Alabama, you got Clemson, and you got Notre Dame that are really in spots where Clemson and Notre Dame, there's no doubt they're going to be two to four teams. There is a little bit of a doubt about Alabama for this reason. They're playing Georgia in their championship game, and you could say legitimately that Georgia is the fourth best team in college football. If the season were to end today, you'd look at Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Georgia probably as your four best teams in the country. Probably the four teams that are most deserved to play for the national championship and in the BCS. 
But what you have today, you got three games that could very much impact that. And obviously the first one is at 4 o'clock Eastern today, Alabama at Georgia. Huge game. And Alabama really does have the ability to lose this and still have the opportunity to compete for a national championship. A loss by Alabama will not eliminate them. And the reason being is Alabama has really proven themselves as the best team in college football this year. The entire season, they've been that dominant. They've been that good. And I will tell you this. You know, Alabama could lose and still be the consensus number one overall team. So the first scenario you look at, you look at Georgia. And before I get into Georgia, let me just accentuate that Alabama, Clemson, and Notre Dame, your top three teams without a doubt. Alabama loses, maybe Clemson's number one, Notre Dame's number two, Alabama's number three. But Alabama isn't falling any further from one to three with a loss to Georgia. Georgia obviously has control of their own destiny. A win over Alabama, and then there's no doubt about it. You're not going to talk about any other team, which there is a team that you can talk about and will probably be a little upset with the way college football finishes this year. Georgia, a win over Alabama, they're the fourth team. It's Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, Georgia. Probably Clemson, Notre Dame, Alabama, Georgia in that order because I do think an Alabama loss will push them from being the number one team. Other experts and other people may disagree with me, but that's the way that I really see it. So the next scenario would involve Georgia losing, because if Alabama goes out there, and I think as expected, and they should be favored in NAR, a 12-point favorite on the road at Georgia, but you know it's going to be a very highly competitive game. You know there's going to be a lot of passion behind it. You know that both of these teams are going to go after each other with a lot of gusto and fervor. And you know that Georgia, probably from a talent standpoint, has the best opportunity to beat Alabama at their game. So if there's one team that has a chance to beat Alabama, it's probably Georgia. So if Alabama wins and wins in convincing fashion, Georgia's probably not going to the BCS. So who does that leave as the next best you know, most opportune team. And I would say Oklahoma. Oklahoma's sitting there in the number five team in the country, but also in a scenario where they're playing their conference championship game. But if Georgia falls, and especially if Alabama is able to win convincingly, the door opens for Oklahoma to be that number four team. And a team that obviously is 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 in very good shape. They gotta play their conference championship game against number 14th ranked Texas. Now, you know it's going to be competitive, and from a line standpoint, Oklahoma's favored by eight. So it's very interesting to see how this turns out. I think it's going to be a good game. It's going to be a competitive game. But a game that is going to start and probably finish before the Alabama-Georgia game today. So that being said, Oklahoma could go out there, have a very good performance, and maybe put some fresh pressure on Georgia. And maybe Oklahoma, an Oklahoma deciding win in their conference championship game is going to put Georgia in a spot where, like, listen, they, they better win. They better beat Alabama if they want to be one of the top four teams. So if Georgia loses, Oklahoma has that chance. But there also is a chance. Now, Alabama is favorited against Georgia. So if Alabama wins and then Texas wins against Oklahoma, the next team that is looking for a chance and may have an opportunity to be that number four team is the Ohio State Buckeyes. 
And obviously their performance last year, uh, last week against the University of Michigan, and I'm going to stand up for a second. I just got to adjust something on a connection, but I'll, I'll keep talking as we're doing this. Once again, the Pass Ball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Glad to be back. Uh, Michigan, obviously, a loss last week to Ohio State. So Ohio State is kind of in the driver's seat. Maybe not as much in the driver's seat as Michigan would have been had they won, but that's in the past now. Michigan lost with that, their second loss of the season, and especially the way things are set up right now. They're in a spot where they are probably not playing for a national championship. So Ohio State gets that opportunity because of the resounding win last week, but they have to get by Georgia. They have to get by Oklahoma. So Georgia loses, Oklahoma loses. All of a sudden, it's up to Ohio State against Northwestern when they're playing their championship game. And let's be serious, Northwestern is not going to be that much of a pushover. Ohio State favored it by 15. I think it's a very good chance and opportunity. More than likely, they're going to win. I would be surprised if Northwestern won, but there is that dream scenario that Georgia, who is not favorited, Oklahoma, who is favorited by not that much, and Ohio State, who is favorited by quite a bit, can all lose. And if that happens, I'll tell you, it would be really good for college football for this reason. Because you got UCF out there with an undefeated season and an opportunity to win a national championship that hasn't happened in a while. And it's not like they're a Cinderella story. It's not like they're in a spot where you could talk about how good they are and say that they should be in the midst for the national championship. But I think at some point they deserve an opportunity. And that's the thing that probably bothers me the most about it. Now you say they don't play in a you know the competition that is that great. Their best victory of the season was against what? Cincinnati. They got a chance in the American Athletic Conference championship game to stand up and make a case for themselves. And if there was an opportunity in college football that they would ever have to have said chance, it would be this week right now. Now, it's unfortunate for a team to be undefeated to, number one, have to win, which obviously we're going to assume that they do, but they're only a three-point favorite at, at home against Memphis. So if they can win this game going away, finish off their undefeated season, they need three things to happen that are all somewhat reasonable. Like I said, if Alabama beat Georgia today, would you be shocked? I know Georgia, probably the only team in the country that has an opportunity and probably could beat Alabama at their best, but would you be shocked if Alabama beat Georgia today? Texas, Oklahoma, you know it's going to be a good back and forth game. Oklahoma's only favored it by eight. You know there's a bitter rivalry between these two schools. I would expect this to be very competitive. Would you be shocked if Texas came out ahead of Oklahoma? And then all you really need, which would be the biggest upset of the day, would be Northwestern to beat Ohio State. And I'll tell you, the only reason that I think that it could possibly happen is that Ohio State may have exerted every last little thing they had last week in their victory against Michigan. And you heard me talk about this on the show at the beginning of the week. Ohio State's specific game plan to just beat Michigan, maybe they overexerted themselves to a point where they put everything out there. They let it all hang out. 
and maybe they don't have anything left, regardless of who their opponent is, in the championship game this Saturday. So maybe you get a dog type of performance from Ohio State, and Northwestern looks at it and says, listen, we're disrespected. We're in a conference that's all about Michigan, it's all about Ohio State. It really was about the Michigan-Ohio State winner being the champion of this conference. And we were disrespected. Maybe Northwestern comes out there, gives their best performance, and shocks Ohio State. And if that happens, you're looking at, in my opinion, who I feel is a deserving team and should be considered for the BCS, and that's UCF. They finish it off an undefeated season. You would actually talk about four teams that would all be undefeated, that would all be playing for a chance at a national championship. This is the famous Budweiser beer. We know of no brand produced by any other brewer that costs so much to brew and age. Our exclusive Beachwood Aging produces a taste, the smoothness, and drinkability you will find at no beer at any cost. So uh, Razor98 says, what do you think about migration in Europe? Sorry for my English, I'm from Russia. No, no issues. I'm glad that you gave me a translation there so I could kind of understand. I wish, wish I knew more languages. Um, listen, I think there's a lot of people that are leaving this country. And I'll make this very brief because we, we're going to get in and back talking about the world of sports. There's a lot of people that are unhappy here in America. And we also know there's a lot of people that are unhappy in other different countries. So, you know, you see immigration as it's set up. And obviously there is issues in regards to the way people feel. It's harder to get into this country now than it was before. Um, for people that are leaving, they're not necessarily moving into better environments when they go to other countries. So we'll leave it at that. Thanks for the contribution. Once again, this is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. We're going to talk a little baseball before we get into our NFL picks today. And obviously there's a lot of rumors swirling in regards to potential trades of Major League Baseball. And you look at the offseason, really you go back 12 calendar months from where we are we're right now. Uh, a week or so away from the baseball winter meetings, which will be in Las Vegas. And I'm looking forward to being out there. And in all honesty, my goal of being at the baseball winter meetings is the same that it's been for the past four years. Is to go out there and get a job. And if I get a job, then that means the winter meetings were worthy for me. This may very well be the last year that I got. But I digress. The trades that scenarios that you're seeing, which you know are existent, you know there's possibilities, and there's a likeliness that Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz are going to be Mets by Monday. And you can dissect that trade package all you want. Jared Kelenic, Justin Dunn. The Jay Bruce and Anthony Swarzak comp, uh, contracts, Gerson Bautista, whatever. But there are also other possibilities that are out there. And you remember the James Paxton trade, which was not that long ago. Him going to the New York Yankees, Justice Sheffield going to the Seattle Mariners. Madison Bumgarner, possibility of him getting dealt. Paul Goldschmidt, Zach Greinke in Arizona. So there really are a lot of high-profile players that could be dealt for. Noah Syndergaard with the Mets. So you hear reports out there that 
new general manager Brody Van Wagenen is very interested in moving Noah Syndergaard, maybe because he believes he could get a lot for him. And I do make that comparison. We talk about R.A. Dickey and him coming off the Cy Young in 2012 and really was the best time to trade him because his value was probably never going to be any higher. And it wasn't like he had an unfathomable season, but he had done so much well that year that it was very almost impossible for him to duplicate what he did in 2012. I'm not saying the same thing applies right now when we talk about Noah Syndergaard, younger, a ridiculous fastball, a ton of talent. You'd expect him to be a top pitcher for probably the better part of the next decade in Major League Baseball. But the Mets feel, maybe for a number one of two reasons, Maybe they feel that the time right now is the best that they could get the most opportunity or the most return for him. And I've thought about some scenarios and some trade possibilities, which I'm not going to entertain the audience with because I think everybody in their own mind has their own thoughts of what a valuable trade is. But what the Mets will be looking to get back if they're dealing Syndergaard is to get a couple offensive players that are going to help their lineup, possibly get a starting pitcher back and a reliever back. Maybe if you're dealing with younger and more unproven players, you're going to get a combination of four players that are going to do that. A starter, a reliever, maybe a center fielder, and a catcher. And if from a quality standpoint you're able to get that, if you get yourself maybe a Francisco Mejia or a Byron Buxton as a headliner for a deal like that, then maybe you kind of are able to move on. And I don't believe that Brody Van Wagenen or anybody with the New York Mets organization believes that they're able to, to get, you know, perhaps more or equal value from Noah Syndergaard in a free agent market. I know there's a talk, hey, trade Syndergaard and sign a starter. I think that they're conscious enough to understand that there's no way that you're going to be able to equal Noah Syndergaard and a free agent market. You can get a good pitcher. If you want to spend the money for Patrick Corbin, you can get yourself a pretty good pitcher. You can get yourself a Jay Happ. You can get yourself a Nathan Evaldi or Charlie Morton, who are all pretty good pitchers. But you look at the upside and what Noah Syndergaard could be. And I don't think these other guys could be Noah Syndergaard over the next five to ten years. They could be good. They could give you good seasons. Nathan Evaldi was very good in the second half last year, great in the postseason. Charlie Morton had a great season last year. But over the next five to ten years, you're not going to duplicate what Noah Syndergaard can bring for you. So you want to make sure in this trade package or whatever you get back, you want to go optimistic and say, hey, the most value you can get. Hey, I'd flip them for Chris Bryant. I'd flip them for George Springer. I'd even flip them for Paul Goldschmidt if the right opportunity presented itself. Forget Peter Alonzo. If I can get Paul Goldschmidt, I'd get Paul Goldschmidt. And you talk about some of the top offensive bats, a guy that's going to be a legitimate number three or four hitter in your lineup. And you understand that there is a ridiculous amount of value to that. But I'm interested to see what, what we're going to expect over the next series of days and as we're leading into the baseball winter meetings. You figure the Cano deal will be finalized. Obviously, there's going to be reaction on both sides. Some people are going to like the deal. Some people are going to hate the deal. I'm kind of in the middle. I'm, I'm curious to see, and my, and my thoughts behind this, when it comes to the Cano deal, Cano and Edwin Diaz coming into Mets for Kalanick and Dunn and Bruce and Swarzak and Gerson Bautista, 
I just want to see what the finished product is. I, I understand that this is a tool. This is a part of the retooling of the New York Mets for 2019. So what does the whole picture look like? I can't judge it right now. I can't put Robinson Cano as the three-hitter in the second baseman in the Met lineup and Edwin Diaz as the closer and then build the rest of the team around them based off of what you have on your 40-man roster right now. Because you know that's not going to be the case. Brody Van Wagenen is going to be very active. He's going to add himself an outfielder, a catcher, another starting pitcher perhaps, a couple relievers. So I want to know what the team looks like when all of this is said and done. I'm not going to judge the deal one way or the other. Just a reminder that Castrol provides maximum protection against viscosity and thermal breakdown. So the last part of the show today, uh, do thank everybody for tuning in. Once again, it's the Pass Ball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. NFL picks, uh, we're sitting there right now after a 3-2 and two week last week. We're pretty happy to say that three of the last four weeks we've had winning weeks. And it was a very bad start. I don't think the mathematic opportunity exists that I could finish the season with a winning record. But if, in order for that to happen, we we'll certainly need to go on a run right now. So we're going to get right into the picks. First game, Indianapolis traveling to Jacksonville against the Jaguars. The Jaguars benching Blake Bortles for the second time this year. Cody Kessler is going to be there. Leonard Fournette suspended. And you look at a team that had so much expectations this year. It's been such a disappointment. And you understand how things are starting to boil over there. I think Doug Marone's future as the head coach of this team, probably for the first time, is now in question. They're sitting there at 3-8, and eight, going absolutely nowhere against a team in Indianapolis that is rejuvenated, revitalized. Andrew Luck and his offensive line. All of a sudden, you're starting to see Andrew Luck look like that quarterback he was supposed to be when he was taken number one overall and thought of as the best quarterback prospect since Peyton Manning. Colts are only getting four on the road. Give me Indianapolis minus four at Jacksonville. Game number two. I, I see two teams going in two different directions. The Denver Broncos, a very big win last week against the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Cincinnati Bengals almost embarrassing themselves in their performance against the Cleveland Browns. Now, I know the Browns are motivated to try to prove something. The Bengals, their season is basically over. Andy Dalton's season's over. So they got their backup quarterback playing at home against the Denver Broncos. And the Broncos, their defense has always looked good. They're getting a little more consistency of their offense. I mean, to me, this is another easy one. Give me Denver, minus five at Cincinnati. Game number three, the Seattle Seahawks at home against the San Francisco 49ers. Now, I do believe from a division rival standpoint, you got San Francisco and Seattle, who I think will still get the most out of each other. The 49ers will be motivated. The 49ers, unfortunately, in a spot where they know that their season ended a little prematurely when Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt. Seattle Seahawks playing better football. It's been an up-and-down season for them, but I could see them going out there and making a very distinct case for their position in the postseason this year. The line, a little bit high, but I don't think it's too high. I think they could cover 9.5 at home. So give me Seattle minus 9.5 at home against San Francisco. Game number four, a very big game. 
with certainly playoff implications. The Los Angeles Chargers traveling to Pittsburgh against the Steelers. You know the Steelers are in pretty good shape. The Steelers may want to try to solidify a one or two spot and maybe a first round bye. It's still on the table. It's not guaranteed. You look at Kansas City, you look at New England, they're probably in the driver's seats at this point. But if either one of them stumbles, and remember, Kareem Hunt not being there for Kansas City could really impact that offense. Maybe they drop a couple games. And I'm not saying their season's over, but maybe they aren't the same team without Kareem Hunt. Maybe Spencer Ware is not able to do the things that Kareem Hunt has shown he could do over the last couple of years. So that does bode well for Pittsburgh. It also bodes well for the Los Angeles Chargers, who seem to be in a pretty good position to get in the playoffs. And if the Chargers can get a good performance, a win against the Pittsburgh Steelers would certainly put them in the driver's seat to be one of the top two wild cards. And maybe if they could run the table, they could take a run at the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC West. My thoughts behind this, I like Pittsburgh at home. And obviously Ben Roethlisberger, you look at the home and road splits, he hasn't thrown an interception at home. He is, it seems to be for whatever reason. You know, he's a good quarterback on the road, but a great quarterback at home. And I think this team's going to be motivated to beat the Los Angeles Chargers. Playoff-type environment. A playoff-type of game. So give me Pittsburgh minus 3.5 against the Los Angeles Chargers at home. Final game. This is going to be my upset of the week. And I really feel, I feel that the Detroit Lions not only can keep the Los Angeles Rams for covering a 10-point spread in Detroit, but I think they got a chance to win this game. And here's the reason. This is what I'm going to get into, and hopefully I can make the most sense out of this. You look at what happened Thursday. The Dallas Cowboys playing the New Orleans Saints. The Saints got this high-powered offense. Dallas known as a very good defensive team. They execute the perfect game plan. And you probably see the best defensive football game played all season. Detroit Lions. Very good defense. Matt Patricia, their head coach. Defensive-minded. They're going to come up with the best plan to try to stop the Los Angeles Rams. Now, maybe they can't do it. Maybe the Rams are just that good. But the same thing could be said about the New Orleans Saints going into the game Thursday against the Dallas Cowboys. You could have the best defense in the world, but there's no guarantee you're going to be able to stop the great offense. NFL is an offensive-centric game. The offense seems to have the advantage over the defense. A great playing offense seems to always be able to beat a great playing defense. A couple exceptions, obviously, the Seattle Seahawks, Legion of Boom. Last week, for one game, the Dallas Cowboys against the New Orleans Saints. I'm predicting something very similar. A great defensive performance by the Detroit Lions at home. Not only do I think they could keep the Rams from covering from covering the spread, I think they could win this game altogether. Give me the Detroit Lions plus 10 at home against the Rams. So a little recap, Indianapolis minus 4 against Jacksonville, Denver minus 5 at Cincinnati, Seattle minus 9.5 at home against San Francisco, Pittsburgh minus 3.5 at home against the Chargers, and Detroit plus 10 at home against the Los Angeles Rams. College football, what I'm hoping to see. I'm hoping to see Alabama beat Georgia. I'm hoping to see Texas beat Oklahoma. I'm hoping to see Northwestern surprise and upset Ohio State and UCF beat Memphis and then be in at number 14. We talked about domestic violence. 
if we want to be so hard on athletes and people in the spotlight, which we every have every right to be, we should be just as hard on the people that aren't as accomplished and may have a little more of the financial resources that people in the spotlight do. If you have any form of government assistance, if you're convicted of a domestic violence incident, you should lose that. You should lose your right to have a job the same way Ray Rice lost the right to have a job. The same right that Reuben Foster seemed to lose. The same rights that Kareem Hunt could potentially have lost. Let it apply to you too. You're involved in domestic violence, lose your job, get blackballed, don't have any opportunity to obtain any more employment. You obviously got hot stove. I'm excited to see what kind of trades are going to be out there because there's a lot of high-profile players available. You got the non-tender free agents. So I would expect to see more activity this offseason than we've seen in the past five years. Listen, I hope everybody has a good weekend. Enjoy your college football today. Got, obviously, NFL tomorrow, hot stove baseball, which you know is going to start to heat up. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. God bless you, and as always, I'll see you on the other side.